0: happy Easter Easter. y'all look good and I love Easter because uh you know well I didn't love it growing up because some of y'all kids are realizing now how mom and dad dress you up and all that but I love it now and um, understanding that it's not just a dressing up and stuff like that but um, anyway uh, this morning we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 10 and as we uh, prepare our minds and hearts uh, for that text and walking through that passage this morning I think it's a no-brainer when I say that sometimes life has its disappointments. Um, I'm sure if you sat down and thought about it, you can think about things that happened in your life that was disappointing, that didn't go the way that you thought it should go. I mean, that pretty much is 2020, but you know we're in 2021, so now things are good, right? I mean, last year, we weren't even together on Easter, so that's something to be praising God about, that we're able to gather in this house and we're able to be in His name, but you know. There are disappointments in life, and as I was thinking about disappointments that I've had in life, I went all the way back to third and fourth grade. Uh, The church where my dad was a pastor at when I was in third and fourth grade, uh, they did Bible drills. And if you don't know what Bible drills are, uh, basically Bible drills is a competitive way to get your kids to memorize the Bible. And so you would go to Bible drill events or meets or whatever you want to call it, competitions, and you would compete with other kids on who knew the Bible the best. Well, in third grade, I was a state champion in Bible drills. Thank you. Yes. I got a ribbon and everything. I don't know where that ribbon is, but I remember being so proud of that ribbon. It said first place winner. And I was walking with so much pride and all my other friends were around me. My mom saw my pride and knew I needed to be popped instantly. So she said, look, a first place wiener. And uh, that's a preacher's wife talking right there. And you talk about busting your child's balloon in that moment just disappointed my mother in that moment but fourth grade came around and i said you know i've already made made it to the peak of bible drills i don't really want to do bible drills again but as my friends started doing it and i realized i wanted to hang out with them so uh, about a month before we're supposed to have the first meet and the first meet is held at your local church so you know everybody i decided i'm going to do it you know I got first place last year, I just got to memorize probably a few new things, and so I'll do it again this year, and uh, so I did, and I didn't get past the local church, and you talk about embarrassing, just feeling completely disappointed in myself, I I remember crying and hiding uh, in a corner because I was just disappointed I did not make it past the first round of Bible Joes in front of my local church, so that was one disappointment that came to mind. Another disappointment came to mind is when I was in fifth grade, and this is kind of therapy for me, so I had to share it with you. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, I, I played basketball for several years, and I had a pretty good year in fifth grade. We played with the city's league, and they always had a city team that would go play other cities around, um, but you had to make it. You had to get on the team, and you had to get past the cuts. And, And I remember getting cut, and I was so disappointed because I felt I was as good as anyone else. I could shoot the ball, I could dribble the ball somewhat decent, you know, and and just being disappointed in not making the team. So I spent two years, and I decided I'm going to practice basketball. I'm going to shoot, I'm going to dribble, I'm going to learn how to move and and pass really well. So two years, so by the time eighth grade comes around, I'm going to be able to play basketball on the middle school team. So I go out in eighth grade to play basketball and I got cut again. And so I gave up basketball from that point on. I was just so disappointed with basketball, and I, I walked away to say I'm going to do football now. So in ninth grade, I started playing football, and I, I decided I was going to go out for a team. I'm, gonna, I'm a bigger kid, so I should be able to hit hard. But I spent the majority of the year on the sideline. I was so disappointed to the point I told my dad, I want to quit. I don't even want to go to practice anymore. I want to be done with this. But thankfully, my dad told me, you know, look, you're going to finish what you start. You sign up to be on this team, you're going to finish the season out, then you can decide next year what you want to do. Well, I, I continued to be on the team, I got a little more playing action, and I decided I don't want that disappointment anymore, so I'm going to work all season long, and I'm going to have a different uh, outcome than what happened with basketball. I'm going to go into the weight room, I'm going to run, I'm going to be ready, and so by a sophomore through high school, I, I started both ways in football, and, and I was not disappointed in that. But there are disappointments. Some of our seniors may be disappointed that they didn't get into the college they were wanting to get into. And we've all experienced that. We may have been disappointed we didn't get the scholarship that we thought we should have gotten to help us to go into that college or disappointed that a certain school didn't even consider us to be allowed. Life is full of disappointments. When I got to SBU, my second year there, Saw the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. She ran cross-country. She was coming in from the summer heat, just glistening in sweat. And I thought, i got to get to know her. I spent a whole semester chasing after her with only finding disappointment because she wanted nothing to do with me. Eventually, I wore her down. And that's my wife back there. And obviously, I'm not living in disappointment anymore. But, you know, we have disappointments. Life is full of them. You could probably think of your own. Our focus this morning is the invitation in because there's one disappointment. I want to make sure everyone here this morning, everyone who's going to listen to this message, never has. And that is when we're going to stand before the God, our God, our Father, and either be claimed as His or being told that He never knew us. So we're going to spend our time in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking in four verses, verses 7 through 10. We're going to understand what the Bible is saying about this. Uh, what it means to us and we're going to answer three questions and here are the questions are you in why should you get in and how do you get in so let's read our passage beginning in verse 7 ephesians is in the new testament by the way Uh, galatians ephesians verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood In the book of Ephesians alone, actually Ephesians is a letter, but we call it a book, Paul uses that phrase, in him, just in Ephesians, ten times. Other phrases he uses is, in Christ. He uses that one eight times. And in him, in verse 7, is speaking of the beloved at the end of verse 6. In the beloved. What Paul is doing is something we're pretty familiar with. If we were to call someone, like for example, Jamie and Abby went shopping yesterday, and I would send them a text to ask, where are you? And they would say, well, we're in this store we're in this store or we're in traffic it speaks of a location it speaks of where we reside it speaks of where our destiny is and paul throughout ephesians uses this over 18 times to speak of our location in christ you know when jamie and i go shopping i mean sometimes we take the kids sometimes we get away because our kids are getting older Um, I'm the type of shopper, and guys, you may be able to relate to this. I'm the type of shopper where I've got a list on my phone. I use my notes to make my list, and when I get into the store, we'll walk in, and, and I'll look at the list, and I'll start rattling off, okay, we need this, 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 and this, this. Because my idea of shopping is you just get in and you get out. Yeah, I don't want to linger there. I don't want to be there longer than I have. I've got a list. I've got things I need to get, and that's what I'm going to get. Ethan loves my type of shopping when I have to take him to go get clothes. Because what we'll do, we'll go to a clothes store. We'll grab three different sizes of jeans. We'll go to the dressing room. Whichever one he says fits the best, we'll say, great. We'll go grab other jeans from that same brand, and we'll walk out. We're done. You know, we've got what we want. We're out of there. He loves that. We cannot stand going shopping with Jamie and Abby because they... I love you. But they, <laughs> they, they, they're there, and they go store to store. I mean, we have like one, two stores in mind, and if it's not there, I get, well, you know, you're out of luck, buddy. I mean, that's just the way it goes. But when we go grocery shopping, I've got my list. So we'll walk through the door, and one thing we buy a lot in, in the Hurchin household is, is yogurt, And so I'll say, okay, we need yogurt, so we got to go to the dairy aisle. And I'll start talking about other things we need, and, and Jamie will be with me. But before I know it, I'll be talking to myself, and I'll look around. Because if you've noticed in Walmart, next time you're in Walmart, you'll see this. They put clothes right next to the groceries. Have you caught that? And so I'll be walking, and I'll be just talking, and next thing I know, I'm the guy in the store talking to myself. Because she has wandered off. She has saw something she wants to go look at, and so she'll go do that. And, and I'll be like, well, i got, I got an agenda. I've got a list. So I'm going to get the things on the list. And once I get the things on the list, I send her a text. Where are you? Can you all relate to this? Any guy in here relate to that? All right, I got two that will omit it. And so after she's seen that, eventually she'll respond I'm in the clothes section. I'm in the garden section. I'm in whatever department of that store she's in. She will give me the location. I'll admit, I do it too. There will be times I'll wander off and I'll find myself in the electronic section. But when Paul is saying in verse 7, in Him, he's saying this is our destination. This is our location. We are in the midst of it. Over 18 times in just this book alone, He mentions our destination in Christ, which leads to the first question we have to answer. Are you in? Are you in Christ presently, and therefore in Christ eternally? Are you in? Because if you cannot answer this question with an emphatic and confident yes... Then when this life is over, you're going to have the biggest disappointment you can ever experience. The book of Ephesians is written to Gentiles, which may not mean very much to us, but it did in this day, and it actually should mean something to us. The Gentiles meant that they were born out of the covenant family that belonged to the line of Abraham, which is established in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God established a covenant with a man named Abraham, and that through him, the entire world, all people would be blessed. This ultimate blessing came about through Jesus Christ. And the covenant or promise was sealed through the act of circumcision, which all males born in the line of Abraham on the eighth day after they were born would be circumcised. It was a sign that they were born into promise. They were born into covenant They were going to be representatives of the one true God. Now here's the thing about God. He didn't just limit to those in Abraham. He allowed other people, if they wanted to come into this covenant, into this promise, that they could, but they would have to seal it with the act of circumcision to say that God is going to be their God and they're going to live by His standards. It was a statement that they belong to Him. Now when Christ came... And when he died on the cross, and when he rose from the grave, he filled all of the promises that God gave, and he paved a new way into a relationship with God, which is by faith. Meaning now, as Paul writes this, just because you're born a Jew doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you do the right things doesn't mean that you're saved. It all comes down to faith in what Christ came and did, dying for our sins of the world and then rising again. See, God's promises are always about faith, even in the Old Testament. And where some misplaced their faith today, as the Jews were doing in Paul's day, is believing since they were born into a particular family, believing that they attended a certain location or a certain church, or they did the right things, that they were in God's plan of eternal life. But the Bible does not paint this picture in the Old Testament or the New Testament. You may be here this morning. You may have been born into a Christian family. You may have Christian parents who drug you to a Christian church this morning. You may try to do the right thing when you're out of church and when you're with other people, but that doesn't mean you're in. Are you in? There's going to be a lot of people who are going to be disappointed because they relied on something else and they placed their faith in something else and they're going to find out they weren't in Christ. You see, our doing things pales in comparison to what God did in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing we can do on this side of eternity to earn what God did. There's nothing we can rely on that we can bring to show to God that we deserve to go to heaven. Are you found in Christ? Are you in? In the book of Ephesians alone... It defines what it is to be in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3 says to be in Christ is to be blessed. Chapter 1, verse 9 is to be in Christ is to know the mystery of God's will. Chapter 2, verse 6 is to be in Christ is to have the promise of eternal life. Chapter 2, verse 10, to be in Christ is to understand we were created by God and therefore made for good works. Chapter 1, verse 4 says that to be in Christ is to know that we are adopted by God. Chapter 1, verse 7 is to be in Christ, knows that we have redemption and forgiveness. Chapter 1, verse 9 is to be in Christ, is to be in God's will and therefore His purpose. Chapter 1, verse 11, to be in Christ is to have an eternal inheritance. Chapter 1, verse 13, to be in Christ means we have heard the word of truth and we have believed it ourselves. Chapter 2, verse 22, to be in Christ is we are dwelling in the place of God through the Holy Spirit chapter 4 verse 15 to be in christ means that we are growing in our faith and therefore our relationship with god chapter 3 verse 12 to be in christ is now to be able to have a boldness and confidence before god chapter 4 verse 21 to be in christ is to know that jesus is the absolute truth that means truth for all people in all places at all times to be in Christ is to understand our eternal destination is sealed forever in heaven because it was won through the cross and the empty tomb. To be in Christ is to understand nothing can separate us from God's love. We now have full access to God. So the question again is Are you in? And the only way to answer that question is through another one Have you? Have you accepted Jesus Christ? As your Lord and Savior, and for the forgiveness of your sins. Have you done that? Not as your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad, aunt, uncle, your your guardian. Have you done that? Because that's the only way in. The greatest disappointment people are going to have in life is when they stand before God and understand that they've achieved great things in life, they've made a lot of money. They've given to charity. They've done good things. They've vacationed at incredible places. They've won numerous awards and trophies. They've had the best kids and the best grandkids. They've had the best house and the best car. And then they stand before God and they realize all of it was meaningless because they missed out on heaven. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible says in the book of Acts, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But we come to Easter. Today's Easter. And Easter is the declaration from the heavens. It is God's invitation for all to be found in Christ, sealed for eternity, given the Holy Spirit, forgiven for all your sins. Easter is God's invitation from His throne room. To be a part of His family forever. For God so loved the world. He so loved you. He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ. And that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but be given eternal life. Are you in? Next question. And maybe what you're wrestling with in this moment as I ask, are you in? And maybe something we as believers need a reminder of. Why should you get in? The passage says it right off the bat in verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The phrase through His blood is used in the New Testament to refer to Christ's ultimate sacrifice on the cross. It is through the blood of Christ on the cross that the wrath of God was satisfied for our sins. Why blood? The Bible says in Hebrews, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And God revealed this in the Old Testament. He he set up a sacrificial system when He introduced His law to His covenantal people. You can read it in the Old Testament book of Exodus. See, God revealed His holiness. He revealed His law. He revealed His standards. And when the people heard God's standards, His law, they understood, we can't meet these. We can't live up to this. But here's the beauty of God. God understood it too. He's like, I know. I know you're going to mess up, so I'm going to give you a system of sacrifice. And you can read of this in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. But an issue that emerged as we come into the New Testament that the book of Hebrews points out when it comes to the sacrificial system is because we continue to wrestle with sin, because we continue to live out of God's holiness and His standards, because we continue to choose to do things without Him. We would have to continue to sacrifice every single time. And Hebrews points this out, that the sacrificial system had one flaw, that there wasn't a sacrifice that fit all people for all ages, for all times. But then came Jesus. Then Jesus stepped in. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Jesus was the complete atoning sacrifice for all sins, all time, all people, in all places. And it is by our faith in Christ and to be found in Him that we only have redemption. In Him, verse 7, we have redemption through His blood. The word redemption means to be set free, to be liberated, to be delivered. To have salvation it literally means to be purchased arkant hughes tells a story of a young boy who lived by a body of water and he loved going down to the water he loved the idea of going out and sailing so one day he and his dad decided we're going to build a small little toy sailboat and so they spent months Building his boat and sanding it down and getting it perfect and building a sail and putting everything together so that when they put it on the water, it actually sailed. And when they finally got to do it, they went down and the boy was so excited as the boat sailed along the edge of the water. And he wouldn't let it go too far because the boat was precious to him. But One day as he was out sailing the boat, a big gust of wind came and drove the boat out into deep waters to the point the boy could no longer see it. He was heartbroken. But every day he decided i'm going to go down to that body of water i'm going to walk along the shore until i find my boat day after day he did this to no end he didn't find the boat one day as he was walking through town he looked into a shop window and in the center of that window was the toy boat that he and his daddy made his heart left and he ran he barged to the door and he told the shop owner that's my boat me and my daddy made that boat that belongs to me The shop owner looked him up and down and said, son, I'm sorry it doesn't. You see, I bought that boat from a local fisherman, therefore it belongs to me, and if you want that boat back, you'll have to buy it. Boy immediately got to work. He found all these side jobs where he could earn a little bit of cash here and there until he finally had enough money to go and buy the boat. And the day came when he bought it and he held his boat in his arms. It was so precious to him and his huge smile on his face. And as he looked at the boat, he said, You are now twice mine because I created you and I bought you. That's redemption. Redemption is the payment of a price or a ransom. The price was Christ's own blood and the object was our souls. All humanity was in the slave market of sin and thus powerless to affect self-deliverance. But Christ purchased us with the infinite price. Our redemption cost was the entire whole life of Christ. And when we think of Easter, when we look to the cross, when we remember the empty tomb, I want you to hear Christ speak over you. I created you and I bought you. You are twice mine. You belong to me. You are in me. To be in Christ is to have redemption. It's to be restored back to what God originally created us for. And it's through the one act of Jesus Christ that we find the forgiveness of our trespasses in verse 7. Trespasses refers to our sin. We understand trespasses. When we see no trespassing, it means don't go there. You don't belong there. And when we sin, we go places that God never intended us to go. We trespass. We go to a spot we never should have been. We go to a place that God's holiness can't reside. But in Christ, in Him, all of our sins are forgiven. To be forgiven is to have all of your sins thrown away. It means now, if we are in Christ before God, our sins are no longer remembered and are no longer ours because Christ purchased them all. To be forgiven is to be rescued from the just judgment of God for our sins, which we deserve. But through the blood of Christ, we presently enjoy both redemption and forgiveness, and we also enjoy the eternal truth we belong to God. We are His, and nothing can change that if I'm in Christ. I mean, why would God do this? Why would a holy God send His only Son to purchase us? Verse 7 says, It is according to the riches of His grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's something we don't deserve. It's the kindness and mercy of God to look on us knowing what we deserve, but instead giving us what we don't. And do you notice in verse 7, God didn't just sprinkle a little grace. It says God lavished it. I love that word, and you should too. The word lavish means to abundantly pour out, to shower over, to richly and generously give. You ever been out and get stuck in a rainstorm? Where there's nowhere to hide, nowhere to go? And you get soaked from head to toe and you're dripping wet? That's lavished. God's grace, if you're in Christ, is lavished on you. So much that you're completely covered. You're dripping head to toe in His grace. And what this means this morning is there is not a sin that you can commit that is not greater than the grace of God. There's nothing you could have done in your life that God cannot cover by His grace. Our sins and our mistakes are not greater than the power of God's love, and this is demonstrated through Jesus Christ. Why did God do this? Because in verse 10 it says it was according to His purpose. So you've got to understand, God doesn't send people to hell. That's a misconception about God. God doesn't send people to hell. God gives us the choice, but it's God's purpose, it is His will that every individual would be saved, that every individual would be His and be in Him, that have eternal life and be redeemed and forgiven and have this overpouring grace upon them. But the reality, and in this room this morning, is there are people who choose this life over God. There are people who are going to choose death over life. They're going to choose sin over who God is. And God gives all people the choice to choose. For this reason, God doesn't send people to hell. But their entire life has been a choice that they'd rather have God out of it and nothing to do with Him and not be found in Him. And we come to Easter, and it is God calling and crying out of the heavens, begging the people which He created to choose Him. We should get in Christ because it's the only way to be united to God. And one day, verse 10, when the fullness of time has come, all people will understand God's authority and God's power and God's plan of love. And some are going to realize they missed out on the invitation to get in. My plea with you this morning, if that's you, today's the invitation to get in. Are you in? final question we have is how do we get in? Verse 7, it is through His blood and by the riches of His, God's grace. The Bible says, for our sake He made Him, being Jesus, to be sinned who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. you see that again? In Him, we might become the righteousness of God. And the Bible instructs us on how we can get in. In Romans chapter 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be in. For with the heart one believes, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So now, if you are in Christ, when people ask, where are you? What's the response? I'm in Christ. Forever. Eternally. That's where I belong. As believers this morning, we might be thinking, what does this have to do with us? How does this impact our life? This is the understanding of the mystery of His will in verse 9. It is the fuel for us as believers to worship God, to love God and therefore love people. It is a reminder to us that the God the Father is the source of every blessing which we enjoy as believers because we, we are in Him. And when we receive the blessing only through the Lord Jesus Christ, once we were separated from Christ and therefore hopeless and godless, but now in Christ we have been overwhelmed with blessing. And there's the Holy Spirit, God's law, written upon our our hearts by the Holy Spirit and a personal knowledge of God and the forgiveness of our sins. Because of this, we now live in present blessing and a faith of a future eternal blessing. This is what we call Easter. God the Father, the Holy One, decided to bless us, the sinner, by His grace which He lavished upon us. It's because it's no wonder believers are to praise God. God provides redemption in His Son, enables believers to understand His secret plan, to head up all things in Christ, and makes believers His inheritance. Because of all this, believers have hope that there is a great cause to praise God's glory. Hallelujah! I'm in Christ. Are you? If you're here this morning you can't answer that with confidence, then I'm going to invite you to come down. And all you've got to say is, Pastor Mike, I want to be in. I want to be in. I now know I need to be in. Are you in Him? I'm going to ask our worship team to begin coming up, and I'm going to be standing right here, and if you need to get in, I'm going to invite you to come down. Maybe as a believer, your eyes have been opened like, wow, I'm in awe of what God did for me. You just need to come and kneel down before Him because You've been treating His lavishing grace so cheaply. Are You in? Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your love and Your grace and Your mercy. Thank You, Lord, that You have lavished upon us. You have given us something we don't deserve nor can earn. Thank You for this reminder every year we get to have that we are in You. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning that is not in you. I pray you give them the courage to come down and have that changed immediately. Thank you, Lord, for this loving us and allowing us to come into your presence. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, help us to have this reminder of what you have done for us. And this is why we love you, this is why we love people, this is why we praise you. Come this time of invitation, I ask, Lord, that your will would be done and your kingdom would come and you alone would be glorified. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.